If you have your Bibles, and then turn with me to John's Gospel, and we'll be reading the last six verses of chapter 12, and uh, I'll pray before we come to God's Word. Our Lord, you have dealt well with us according to your word. Teach us good judgment and knowledge, for we believe in your commandments. And as we saw this morning, you are great, you are good, and you do good. Teach us to love your law, to love your statutes, and speak to us this afternoon for Jesus' sake. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of our Saviour and King, the Lord Jesus, whose name I pray. Amen. So John 12 and uh, verse 44, and it's entitled, maybe in your Bible it's the same as mine, Jesus came to save the world. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent him. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have spoken not on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And may God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. One of the challenges in preaching through John's Gospel is you end up encountering the same themes over and over. And you hear some of those same words that are familiar, light, darkness, Father, Son, Spirit, birth, death, sent, faith, belief, unbelief, glory, one, Christ, love, sheep, shepherd, words, the word, grace, truth. And we are constantly encountering these words and the big themes that they cover. And hardly a sermon goes by where we're not seeing some of them. The challenge then is not to tune out and think we've heard this sermon before. Or we've heard verses like this before. But there is a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired the book in the way that he did. So that obviously we need to hear these things again and again to start with. So for me, rather than seeing it as an op a challenge, see it as an opportunity to learn more about Jesus 
and to learn more about the important lessons from John's Gospel. I think often of that line from Paul in Philippians, it is no trouble for us to tell you the same thing again. And we must always, as Christians, be the same things again kind of people. Because we often need to be reminded of the Gospel. Jerry Bridges, who went to be with the Lord relatively recently, one thing that he always said stuck with me, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And that's just wonderful advice, to preach the gospel to yourself every day. But we find in this closing paragraph to chapter 12, many of these same themes, and that's intentional. I believe it is deliberately placed here by John, who was of course led, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, because this paragraph, I believe, is meant to act as a summary paragraph for Jesus' public ministry. And it's interesting because there's no setting, there's no deliberate setting to this paragraph. That's why I drew your attention to, to it says that, it's, that Jesus came to save the world. And that, that's quite different to sometimes how these paragraphs are set. It comes after what we've read in chapter 12, it comes before chapter 13, and it is simply set off with, Jesus came to save the world. And it starts with verse 44, and Jesus cried out. And I think it is intentional that this paragraph is meant to act as a climatic, appropriate summary of his public ministry. And his public ministry is largely coming to a close at the end of chapter 12. And when we get to chapter 13, we find that we're in the last week of his life. Chapter 12, we've already had the triumphal entry. And in chapter 13, facing the feast of Passover, washing the disciples' feet, the new commandment, the entire upper room discourse as our Lord speaks privately to his disciples before his betrayal. So this coming at the end of chapter 12, John 12, without a specific context, Jesus is not replying to an immediate question, but rather the verb is, he cried out. He cried out. It's meant to tell us that this paragraph is what he has been teaching. It's a summary of what he has been teaching. From John's point of view, this paragraph gives us a summary, tying together the major themes of our Lord's public ministry. And see the re repetition of three whoever statements. The third is a little different. I'll see if I can get it up here. So in, in verse 44, it says, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And then verse 45, you see the second whoever, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And verse 47, if instead of whoever, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world, if rather than 
whoever, very intentional. Whoever, whoever, if anyone. So if you see the language of verse 44, believing, verse 44, 5, seeing, verse 47, hearing. So to believe in Jesus is to see Jesus, is to hear Jesus, and is to receive his words. Believe, see, and hear. They can be used with a lot of overlap, but they're not exactly identical. To put it philosophically, we might say we're talking about the will, that is the believing, the mind, to be seen with mental capacity, and then the activity of the will and the mind together, verse 47, hearing, and not just hearing but doing, because hearing in the Bible is not just listening. Hearing in the Bible is to receive and to act upon, not to be a hearer but a doer also. So the will, the mind, the activity of the will and the mind, that is somewhat philosophical. You could put it even more colloquially and label these three sections as heart, head and heart hands. The heart to believe, the head to see and understand and then the feet, the hands, the activity of hearing and doing what Christ has spoken. So they're really my three points, whichever way you want, as long as you don't get me to say it again, whichever you know, way, way you want to carve it up. So the first is heart or believing. Whoever believes, verse 44. That's my first point. And Jesus says something that may sound strange at first hearing. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he's simply repeating what is said before. That the act of believing in Jesus is not only to believe on the one who is right in front of you, the one who has been sent, but more, and even more so in a more ultimate way, to believe in the one who sent him. You can't separate the two. The sending and the sent. The Son is the object of faith. We know that from the purpose statement at the end of John 20. That these things are written that you may believe that he is the Christ. And by believing you may have life in his name. So we put our faith in Christ. But it means that there's such a close union between the sender and the one sent. That to believe in the Son is to believe in the Father. John 1. He is called the one at the Father's side. The one who comes from the Father full of grace and truth. The one who makes the Father known. I think we've said it before. You sometimes get a lot of people who say in a vague way, of course, I believe in God. I think sometimes even politicians talk about some of the politicians like, we don't do God or something. Or, you know, but the test is how, how often do you hear people talk about Jesus? The one who has made the Father known. John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Now it all sounds very spiritual. Much of that language is very familiar to us. It may even make sense to us. But you have to remember, just remember, at that time, 
No one was really sure what to make of Jesus. He had a name like theirs. He looked like them. He came from a small town. People knew his family. He did not walk around like some of the paintings try and depict him with a glow and a sash that said Messiah and he had a halo. He looked like everyone else. And yet he did not seem like everyone else. So he's stating something that would, have not, that would not have been obvious to those around him and would have been scandalous and was. If you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. And this has been a common theme and it will be reinforced when we come to John 14 verse 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. A verse which I am absolutely committed to, you know, to preaching, affirming. And I can see that getting Christians into trouble before too long. But no one, if you want to believe in the Father, you must believe in me. And when you believe in me, you are not so much believing in me as you are believing in the one who sent me. Then we come to verse 45. A similar word here, but maybe speaking more to the head. Verse 45, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. John Calvin says to, to see is taken here for knowledge. Not simply to have the visual representation. It is not as if he is saying that God the Father has a body, but he is saying when you see me, that is when you mentally appropriate all that I am, you have a real understanding of me. You have a genuine understanding of the one who sent me. And this is another step in the declaration of his unity, the claims of Christ, the Son with the Father. Not only in believing in the Son do you really believe in the Father. Well, if you say that it's possible just to use an analogy, if a child comes and says to believe in me, you believe in the parents who sent me, or an ambassador, if you believe in me, you believe in the head of state who authorised me to come. Well, that's one level of identification. But the ambassador does not say, I am the head of state, of one. They could say we're of one mind or we speak one message. But this union goes beyond that. Because Jesus says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Seeing the Son is actually seeing the Father. And we have here, this is important, just bear with me for a couple of minutes as I do a little bit of theology. This will be later worked out in the church in full-blown Trinitarian Theology, And we see it here in miniature, because there is a distinction of person. He does not say, when you see me, you are just seeing another version of the one who sent me. No, they are distinct, distinguishable, the sender and the sent one. It wasn't a different mode of being. No, there is a distinguishability between the sender and the sent one. And yet there is such a 
union, such a shared identity, such a fundamental unity, to use the later word, essence, what other word could we use that to see one is to see the other? Sometimes people, I think they're educated way beyond their intelligence, saying that the church just made up the doctrine of the Trinity. The church had to work out the doctrine of the Trinity, and the church used language that was common to the day to understand, to provide the philosophical language that we now use to describe the Trinity. But never, never think the church made this up. And we see here what the church was doing, was trying to find the right words, to be as careful as possible to describe this glorious mystery as they have been unfolded in the pages of Scripture. What words can we use? And we see this even more in the Father-Son, you know, in the upper room discourse, that we have the Father and the Son, and the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. They can be distinguished. The sender is not the sent one. So there is a difference, a, distinct, a distinction. What should we call that? The church later said persons. It is enough to just say they are different, because here they are the same. You see one, you've seen the other. What should we call that? The church said essence. Three persons, one essence. Now pay attention to what Jesus is preaching in this summary paragraph. In a minute we get to the ethical dimensions of his teaching. He is going to talk about darkness and light. And then doing the words that he speaks. So there are moral ramifications, obedience ramifications for believing in Jesus and seeing Jesus. But I want you to see, and we get this even more clearly in the Upper Room Discourse, that if this is a summary paragraph that John has put very intentionally Jesus' words here, is what his teaching has been about. You would think that Jesus that some people have in their mind would have said, as his concluding paragraph, as his summary paragraph, what would people think that Jesus should have said? Love one another and do not hurt people. That's really good advice. You should love people, not try to hurt people. Or maybe in a Jewish mindset, he could have said, love your neighbour as yourself and obey the Torah. Nothing controversial about that. No one would have wanted to kill Jesus if he was a, just a dynamic teacher who said, obey the Torah and love people. Like many want to press Jesus into a 21st century Western mould. Just, you think people, have been mistaken to think people, Jesus would have just come and toured around preaching and saying, I want you to make the world a better place. I want you to be nice to people, just affirm people. And if you can recycle as well, do that too. As if that is what Jesus' heartbeat message would be. But when you see G John says, I'm going to summarise Jesus' ministry, it's an apt summary of his teaching. He's talking about the claims of Christ, the Trinity, the controversy, the reason that they want to kill him and will kill him. 
was not because he spoke about love. That scandalised them at times. But they wanted to kill him because of who he said he was. So never turn Jesus just into a preacher of good works. Just like another enlightened man who told people to be nice to one another and share their toys. I just want you to see, because you've probably read through John and are familiar with it, to step back and say, this is not what I would expect. One last sermon, what are you going to talk about? And Jesus talks about being one with the Father. That is his summary message of his teaching. When you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. I think it's really, I think it's glorious, I think it's wonderful. Verse 45, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So you see Jesus, you understand that if you get Jesus, you get the Father. And if you get him, if you understand him, you will not remain in darkness, moral darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You will not remain in moral darkness. You will not remain in salvation's darkness, in darkness from salvation, ignorance of salvation, no longer ignorant about the true identity of Jesus and the true character of God. This is the last bit of public light to shine before Jesus will turn inward to the disciples and the crowds will turn on Jesus to kill him. John 12, 35, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So when you believe in Jesus, you see Jesus. You believe in the Father. You see the Father. You leave darkness and walk in light. It is hard to leave darkness. If you have been converted, and probably, I don't know, for many that I know in this room, you never knew a time when you did not know Jesus. That's my testimony. And we give thanks for that. And we had darkness too. It was just a more socially acceptable kind of darkness, perhaps. But some come out of darkness that everyone knew was darkness. And remember the pain when someone throws open the shades or pulls the blinds in the morning and you're trying to sleep in and someone opens it and you squint and you want to go back to the darkness. It's hard sometimes to leave the darkness and walk in the light. But the message in John's Gospel is that the light has been shown in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. That's good news. That's the gospel. When you believe, you leave the darkness behind. So we've looked at the heart. We've looked at the head. And the final section is what you can think of as hands or feet. Because it, ha it is about acting on what you believe 
and what you see. The first two are very positive. The third is in the negative. Verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So we've had what happens when you believe. You get the Father and the Son. And what happens when you see, you no longer remain in darkness. Now this is put in the negative. If you hear and do not keep the words that Jesus has spoken, notice what Jesus says, and it may sound surprising. I do not judge you. Now so, there's so many people want their Bibles to end click right there. This is the Jesus I want. Jesus' preaching was very rigorous, but his mission, his aim, was salvation, not condemnation. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 8, 15, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. So there is this understanding that the reason that Jesus came, the Father did not send him to come and punish people. He sent Jesus to offer salvation. But that is not all he has to say. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. That is his mission. Unless you stop there and say, praise the Lord, I love that Jesus, no judgment, stop judging me. I've been trying to tell you forever to stop judging me. I judge you for judging me. He says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words as a judge. And this is one of the fundamental truths, the fundamental tenets that separates all theological liberalism from true Bible-believing Christianity. It was said, tongue-in-cheek, that Protestant liberalism is a God without wrath, bringing a people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. That is not Christianity. J. Gresham Matchin wrote a book, Christianity and Liberalism, and the most important word in the title is and. Now when I say liberalism, I'm not talking about political liberalism, I'm talking about theological liberalism, which is blighted nominal Christianity in our country today. Because the most important word in that title, it says that liberalism is not a type of Christianity. You have liberalism, you have Christianity, they are not the same thing. And this is a fundamental tenet of the faith. Jesus says, whoever rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And I, I say this as kindly and as sweetly as I can. Because this is not me. This is Jesus. This is the Bible. That there is a judgment to come. May it never be said. And I know that I speak to my brother as well. That if anyone attended Lake Road Chapel. They could ever say that when they stood before God. That no one ever told me that there was a judgment to come. Because it's what Jesus said. 
John 5, 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says over and over that there is judgment to come, that there is a judge. And if you don't want a God like that, you have to have a God who's not in the Bible. If you don't want a saviour who speaks like that, you have to find another saviour other than Jesus. If you want a religion that doesn't have judge and a judgment, and that is very popular, just don't call it Christianity. Don't call it Christianity. Because it's clear on every page of the book that there is a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Three sections. Head, heart, hands. Never think of them as three different kinds of faith. Well, some people believe in their hearts, some people believe in their heads, and some people show us in their hands. No, there's three essential elements to saving faith. You must believe in your heart. You must understand in your head. You must confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, that you're not saved by good works, and you must show yourself to be changed. Without doing, what good is the hearing? The faith is only superficial, spurious. We know Jesus through his words. We have fellowship with him through his word. The commandment in verses 49 and 50, what is this commandment? He may be in part, Jesus is speaking of the commandment he received from the Father. That is certainly part of it. And I know his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. It is at least as much as the commandment that brings eternal life. Now you may think that does not sound right. Do we not believe in justification by faith alone? Why do you say a commandment brings eternal life? I cannot keep a commandment. Well, think of some of the commandments Jesus makes. 1 John, the commandment is to believe. Jesus says in John 3, the commandment is to be born again. So when it says the commandment is eternal life, do not hear, I keep the Ten Commandments, so I'm a Christian and I inherit eternal life. Hear instead the commandment to be born again and believe. And God must grant you those gifts that you might have eternal life. But this is what I want you to focus on as we close this afternoon. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The same message that proclaims life, forgiveness to the believer. The same message warns of condemnation and wrath to the unbeliever. Do not hold Jesus responsible for judgment. For your judgment. How can you reject an invitation so kind and as gracious as his?
Imagine you were living in a house that was structurally unsafe and it's going to be eventually torn down. And someone comes and knocks on your door and says, the house you're living in, it needs to come down. It has asbestos everywhere. The bricks are crumbling, there's dry rot, there's creepy crawlies everywhere, the joists are falling apart. You're not safe. I'm going to give you the opportunity to relocate free of charge to a new house in a great part of town. Everything new is ready for you. Don't delay. Take advantage of this opportunity. Now, if you said, no thanks, I'll stay in my asbestos, creepy, crawling, ridden house because it's nice to me. How do I really know you have a better house for me? On the day that house comes crushing down, could we not say that your words sat in judgment on you? Because you did not listen. You did not heed the offer that was made. Jesus says, and it is the greatest offer of all, and it is so true, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the greatest offer ever. But some do not come to him. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. But some have not put faith in him. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And some are not interested. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And Jesus will say that you never gave thought to life after death. Jesus said, you could know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we're content with lies. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But we kept groping around in darkness. Jesus said, I bring, give you the bread of life and rivers of living water so you never thirst again. But we still wanted our own food and drink. And Jesus said, when I be lifted up, all who looks on me will be saved. But we were too interested looking at ourselves to look away to him. Jesus is only speaking what the Father has him say. The Son has come, not for judgment, but for salvation. He has come that you may have life. He has come to reveal the Father. He has come to take you from darkness to light. His purpose was not to judge. But I have to say, make no mistake, Jesus says there is a judge. And if you reject the offer of salvation, ignore his words, you'll be judged by the words. Those gracious words of mercy and invitation. So whoever believes in the Son, believes in the Father. Whoever sees the Son, sees the Father. Whoever hears these words and does not keep them will be rejected by the very words they have rejected. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So he says to all of us today, all of us, preach gospel to yourself every day, remember, do not be content to stay where you are. I thank the Lord for this wonderful summary paragraph that tells us the claims of Jesus. May he have all the glory for his name's sake. Amen.